singing. You may be seated. Amen. Good singing indeed this morning. Do be in prayer for Nick and Vic. Nick and Victoria Lanter, their baby was born, little baby girl, on Friday night. But we'll say minor complications uh, led them to the hospital, and they'll be in the hospital with little... Thank you, Ryan. I wasn't going to say it out loud if they hadn't told everybody out loud the name. Uh, Nick on Saturday morning said, well, I'm not sure if I can tell you yet, Pastor. We haven't told the whole family. So, Oh, you don't know either? Well, we won't say the name, but it's baby girl at this point. Baby girl Lantry. It was a girl, and she finally did decide to join the world on Friday. Uh, and so uh, be in prayer for them. Uh, the pathway is clearing up going forward, and God is certainly in control. But uh, there was an immediate emergency on Friday evening, and little baby had to be rushed to the hospital down at UK is there, and the doctors are skillfully taking care of her, and we'll pray for her to a full and natural conclusion and get to go home with mom and dad on hopefully Monday or Tuesday is the plan. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter number 25. We are in the series Walking with God. We've dealt with quite a few Bible characters, and we'll note them in just a moment. But we'll read from the Word of God this morning. In Genesis chapter number 25, and we'll look at chapters 25, 26, and 27 this morning in highlight version. We're not going to look in great detail, but we'll read a lengthy passage for our reading this morning here in chapter 25, beginning in verse number 19 to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. The word red here means Adam, or where we get our word Adam from as well in the Hebrew language. All over, like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. They literally named their son Harry, because he was hairy. Any Harrys here this morning? All right. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Heel Grabber. That's literally what Jacob means. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bared them. Now pause for a second and understand what God is saying here. For 20 years he prayed for her barrenness. Well, there's a great lesson in that. We are not taking time to understand and study this morning, but understand sometimes prayer takes a while. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man. You might underline that word plain. We're going to come back and talk about that later. Dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red, or that Adamic pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, or that of the earth. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. 
And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him and sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray and we'll get into the message this morning. Father, we do thank you that we can learn from this troublesome home. There may be homes in our church family this morning, Lord, that are in great calamity. There may be homes that are dysfunctional. And Lord, as we have considered our walk with you so far, everything except for a few hiccups here or there has been pretty smooth sailing. Oh, there's difficulties and there's stress and there's times that they had to exercise faith and trust in your grace in Noah and Abraham. But it's not until we come to Jacob until we learn the idea of transformation. Truly a change. Help us this morning, Lord, I pray, to see this man as we begin a series on Jacob. Bless all that we say in this day, in this hour particularly, may be pleasing to you and may it be at right from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a subtle truth that is found in the Bible that first generation followers of God are all in, full bore, sold out to Almighty God. I think that's generally true. We can find it in this passage. We can understand it as we come to Bible characters. Abraham was the first one to truly trust God, and he got it. Isaac was the second generation, and when you come to a second generation, it usually falls into a pattern of being generally nonchalant, kind of come see, come saw, if you will. I'll leave God alone if he'll leave me alone because I believe in him, and I'll just do what my parents taught me to do, and everything will be okay. When you get to a third generation, especially in the Bible, you usually find that the pattern begins that that generation forgets God, forsakes God, wants nothing to do with God. Now that doesn't always have to be the case, but there is a subtle truth if you study the Bible. It's true of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. It's true of David and of Solomon and of his son. And as we go through the scriptures, we will find patterns. If you go to the book of Judges, you will find that the generation that went in to conquer the promised land with Joshua and the generation that overlived them, they walked with God. But the third generation... They needed a judge to rescue them. And so there is a pattern that begins to form. And in our Walk with God series, it is high time that we come to someone who is going to have to make faith their own. You say, well, didn't Abraham? Yes, he did. But this is one who grew up in the church. By raise of hands, how many in here grew up going to church? Raise your hand real high. Oh, good. Then you're going to listen well this morning. By raise of hands, how many in here are first-generation Christians? The first one in their families to trust Christ. Put your hands up real high. Hallelujah. Thank you to both groups because you're here this morning. But understand as we get into this walk with God that Jacob had, it's going to be a difficult conversation as we begin this morning. Our series so far has covered, to date, Noah and his walk with God by grace. Abraham and his walk with God by faith. Now we turn to Jacob. And Jacob's walk with God is a walk in transformation. Change that comes in his life. In fact, we have to understand the transformation that comes, comes first from our message title this morning, his formation. If I'm going to be transformed, there's something first that I was formed into. 
The chapter that we read this morning, chapter 25, chapters 26 and 7, will lead us to understand the foundation formation of this man Jacob that God later would have to transform, that he would have to change, that he would have to work in his life in. Jacob was the second twin of Isaac and Rebekah, and his life is a life of transition. He was, though the second born, the one that God said would bear rule, that would be blessed. We will study this man Jacob and his walk with God through four messages. That is, today his formation, next Sunday his fight, the week after Zach's ordination weekend in the commissioning service on April 30th, the first Sunday in May, we will see his faith, and then we will note his finish the week after Mother's Day. This morning, though, we dive right into the formation of Jacob by seeing his family and the parental chaos that existed. You say, wait a second, man. Isaac was a patriarch. How dare you talk bad about a patriarch? I'm not talking bad about him. I'm just pointing out some things that were true in his life. As a second-generation follower of God, he had grown slack in many areas, and it affected how he raised his children. Oh, oh, now some of the families in here are like, oh, maybe we should have felt sick this morning. Maybe we could have watched this one on YouTube. They sting perhaps a little less when they're on my computer screen as opposed to be sitting in the auditorium. May I say to you, I'm glad you're here. Because we have a problem of dysfunction in our modern church. And I wish it wasn't true in our own church family, but I'm the pastor. And I pray for you earnestly and dearly. And I recognize that the traps that this family falled into or fell into are ones that we often fall into as well. We enter Jacob's life through his father, Isaac. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7, we find he is dwelling by the well of Lahai Roi. Abraham has died, Isaac and Ishmael have buried their father, and interestingly enough at this point, Isaac is 75 years of age. It is within this context of the parental chaos that is existent in Jacob's home. By the way, as noting, Jacob and Esau are 15 years of age when Abraham dies. Sometimes we in our mind think that each generation of the patriarch passed and that there weren't three alive at the same time. No, it's not true. Abraham was alive when Jacob and Esau, the twins, were born. And Isaac, interestingly enough, as we'll see in later parts of this study, was alive when Joseph was sold into slavery. What? But he was. Math doesn't lie. Chronology is true. And if you study the word of God, Joseph was sold into slavery at 17, which would have put Isaac in about the 160 year of age. And he lived to be 180. That, when you start to think about how the word of God works, kind of just blows your mind. That all of this chaos still happened. And the answer is right, because Isaac and Rebecca were responsible for their home. If you as a family think Granny and Grandpa are going to take care of you, or Meemaw and Papa, or whatever cool name you come up with in your home, is going to make sure that the grandchildren are right with God, you're wrong. It's your job, Mom and Dad. It's your responsibility. And this is where we enter into the life of Jacob through Isaac and Rebekah. Well, let's note a couple things here under this parental chaos. We're going to spend most of the service in this point. And some of you are thinking, oh, nuts. I was hoping he would just get to whatever the second point is to leave us alone. And the answer is I can't. My job is to tell truth. 
That's my calling. It's my task. It's what I must do. First, let's note what they did wrong. I wish, I wish that more specific things that Isaac and Rebekah did wrong, particularly in the life of Jacob and Esau, were written for us. I wish. Now, there's some broad categories, and we'll look at three of those this morning. I wish that Isaac and Rebekah had granted full and unfettered access to the internet and cell phones too young in their child's life so that I could preach against that this morning. Some of you are thinking, oh, I see what mood you're in this morning, then, Kyle. You're in an ornery mood. And the answer is, yes, when it comes to our homes, I want to help you defend it against the attacks of the devil as much as I possibly can. I wish that they seemingly let their boys date too young or let their kids engage in physical conduct during the dating process so that I could warn you against those, but both boys got married in their 40s. So I can't even warn you specifically against that this morning. I wish that these two parents had allowed their kids to watch terrible, sinful stuff in the movies or play addictive and violent video games so that I could warn you about those. Alas, they did none of these. And so this morning, all the teenagers and kids below are going, whew, man, we got off the hook. That old geezer can't get us today. Let me just say, since we brought it up, and you're saying, wait, you brought it up. I know, it's the great thing about being a pastor. I brought it up, so I'll go ahead and answer it. You shouldn't give your kid a cell phone under the age of 16. Now, let me tell you a little secret. I learned this a long time ago. I listened to a, a pastor's podcast, and they interviewed this pastor, the chief of police, an unbelieving man in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. And they, as the police force, go into the public schools and tell parents there, unless or until you're ready for your kids to see pornography, do not give them a cell phone. That's unbelievers. I'm just going to put that there for you to consider. Ah, I can't take Johnny's phone from him. If I take Johnny's phone from him, he'll hate me. If you love them, maybe you should. But you said they didn't give their kids a cell phone. Why are you talking about it? I, I just, I, somebody brought it up. By the way, don't let your children physically touch or tenderly hold the opposite sex while they date. And be very careful to warn them that when they're engaged, not to do so. Oh, by the way, don't let your kids fill their minds with filth. You know, Jessica and I try to pre-watch movies that our kids hear about and want to watch. And I can tell you, there's sometimes I can't make it 15 minutes into the movie and I look at Jessica and go, I feel dirty. Well, you're a pastor. You're just different than us. Well, we're going to answer that question in just a moment because, oddly enough, those are things that Isaac and Rebecca struggle with. And so, yes, I can't talk about those specific things, but just as a pastoral piece of advice, hang your hats on those this morning, that there is great caution that you must take in raising godly children. So what are the things that they did, in fact, wrong? Number one in your outline, they divided their love. 
They divided their love. It is interesting that Isaac seemingly loved the Lord. Chapter 22, he becomes a willing sacrifice of his father, not knowing what was going on and certainly physically able to overcome him or to escape him. He willingly sacrifices himself. And so we know that Isaac loves God, but we find the Bible tells us in our reading this morning that he loved Esau because what Esau gave to him. And Esau was a man of this earth. Isaac began to love his son Esau more than he loved his son Jacob, and he knew full well the promise that had been given to Rebekah, that the younger would rule over the elder. May I say to you, when you begin to love the things of this world that your kid can offer to you or can do for you, you are dividing your love for God. Your job is to lead them and to love them to love God. In other words, to teach them how they're to love God. Yeah, but, but Johnny is really good at, but Susie can really do the... And I say to you, if you're living for the temporal realm and it robs you of the eternal blessings and it makes you forsake God, you're divided in your love. You actually have to love God before you love your kids. You know, I can see my kids. I can't see God. Oh, listen, if you just get into this book, you'll see him more clearly than you can ever imagine. They were divided in their love. May I also make a statement on this? They were divided in their love of favoritism one with the other. That part is very apparent here. Jacob was loved by mama. Esau was loved by daddy. And there was no hiding of that message of favoritism. I am glad in my life my parents didn't show favoritism. They were united in their belief that I was the best child. My nephew's here and he's shaking his head. No, my sister was here in the early service. I didn't know they were going to be in town for this one. But it was just perfect in the first hour. It was glorious. Probably why Cassie and John will never move here, but... In honesty, my parents were equally supportive corrective and encouraging of both my sister and I. They didn't play favorites. The love that they demonstrated was not conditional, nor was it based on emotions of favoritism. I should know of the two of us, I failed miserably in my Christian walk, and my parents were serious and have been serious about their Christian walk my whole life. If there was one that would be unfavorited, unfriended, I guess we might say in our modern social media, it would have been me. Yet they chose never to withhold love and affirmation while making sure I understood that they did not agree with my departure. Isaac and Rebekah sent messages to their kids that even if they did wrong, according to God, they will still love and support them. And we're going to come to that in chapter 27. Isaac knows what, uh, who is supposed to get the birthright, and he still chooses to call Esau in before him. He also knows that Esau had taken two wives of the Hittites. If we were to continue reading in, in chapter 26, you would find that he took two wives of the Hittites, a godless people, a people that rejected Almighty God, and yet he took of them wives. And yet Isaac still loved Esau. Parents especially parents of grown children, if your kids are walking away from God, you do not have to support that. 
<gasps> but, but, but pastor, what will happen? And the answer is, let God work. If you have trained them in the way that they should go, let God work. Well, but they may end up in, and fill in the blank, skid row, prison, the hospital, in a bad relationship. The answer is your job of teaching and training until their adult years is done. All they can do at that point is honor you. They don't need to obey you anymore. And so your power over them becomes very limited. But it doesn't mean that your persuasion and the persuasiveness of your life choices isn't present in their life. Love must be uh, consistent. It must be supportive in that which is right and corrective in that which is wrong. They had a divided love. It was one of the things their home was doing wrong, and they were doing it openly so that the boys could see it. The second thing is disobedience that led to jealousy. Names in the Bible are particular and peculiar. They're intentional. Names were powerful indicators of personalities, and they led to personal hang-ups often for the individuals. How would you like to grow up named Harry because you're Harry? <laughs> really? I have the most unimaginative parents, Esau must have thought. And Jacob looked at him and said, really? My name's Heel Grabber. That's what par- I mean, these two just mailed it in. Well, they also were instructive to us. They helped us learn. God had told them who would receive his blessing. He had already said, the older shall serve the younger, yet in the naming of the children, they stick to temporal ideas. It was pretty clear by this point, by the time that they were born, that the birthright should go and would go to Jacob when they were older. Yet we can read from the family's own history that Esau still held the birthright until he callously and carelessly sold it to Jacob. Why wasn't truth explained to them? You know, they could have taken out a lot of the chaos if they had just said, hey, this is what God said. Well, Dad, do you hate me? No, I love you. But this is what God said. And if you love God like Mom and I love God, this is what God said. Well, I don't like what God said. Well, we do like God, and this is what God said. You see, the parental chaos is that they themselves, Mom and Dad, were disobedient to the Word of God. And so what do you get? If that's the root, here's the fruit. You get children that are disobedient to God. They named the one that God promised the blessing to supplanter. The heel-grabbing element of it actually means one who through subterfuge trips up another. That's what his name meant in the original tongue. They named the child of promise, the child who would receive God's blessing, deceiving supplanter. That tells you generally all you need to know about Isaac and Rebekah when it came to naming the kids. It wasn't like, hey, your dad's named Jacob, let's name him Jacob. That wasn't the case. By the way, naming your child deceiving supplanter is nowhere found in good parenting books. If you have chosen a name, like I love my parents, they named me Kyle in Gaelic or the old language, it means handsome, and they were right on. 
Phil don't amen that. My wife's the only one supposed to amen that. <laughs> she amened me in the first service. The third thing that we find that was wrong in their home of chaos was that deceitfulness abounded. They were divided in their love for God and for their love for their children. They were disobedient, and that disobedience led to rivalries, contentions, and jealousies within the home. If they just had obeyed God and explained the truth, boy, things would have gone a lot easier. They would have made things easier. Esau would still be responsible for his choices and his decisions, but at least the truth would have been out there. But because of their disobedience, the culmination is it was a home full of deceit. At least that's what's recorded. Now, we can sit and surmise that maybe every day of their life wasn't filled with deceit, but all we can read is what God recorded. There was nothing but parental chaos. This family had a problem with lying. It also seems that they lacked strong men in the family when it came to standing up for their wives. Abraham lied twice about Sarah to Pharaoh and then to Abimelech. Isaac tells the same lie to either the very same Abimelech or his son. Go with me to chapter 26 and begin reading. And the Bible says there, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now here God is going to give to Isaac the assurance of the past birthright to him from Abraham, since Abraham is gone. Here's Isaac's promise. Here's Isaac's blessing, if you will. He says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee, for unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now notice a very interesting fact. It doesn't say anything because of what Isaac had done. It's just a compelling of him to keep doing what his father had done. But he was noting Abraham obeyed. Now we already know that they were struggling with disobedience. Now we find the fullness of deceit. In verse 6, And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him of his wife. We've heard this before. Genesis 12, Genesis 19, we've heard this before. And he said, she is my sister. Can I tell you something, dads? What you do, your kids will do. Who you are likely is who your kids will become. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be transformation. That's the wonderful truth of the walk with God that Jacob had. He could overcome what he had been taught and this parental chaos. But make no mistake about it. What Abraham's weaknesses were, were in full fruit in the life of Isaac. And what Isaac was doing here was evidenced and seen by his two boys. Chapter 26 plays out in the 20s and in the 30s probably into the early 40s of the life of Jacob and Esau. She is my sister, for he feared to say she is my wife, lest, said he, this is his internal conversation, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. Well, you know something I can tell you about Abraham and Isaac? They married good-looking women. Can I tell you what was wrong with Abraham and Isaac? They did not know how to lead their homes in the right way. 
Now, Abraham got it right. Isaac here struggles with it, and it causes great problems. He begins to practice deceit before their eyes. In Genesis chapter 26, we find Isaac lying about his wife, then having contention. If you keep reading in verse number 20, it says that he was driven away from the well of Essek. He named it Essek. Essek in the Hebrew means contention. In verse 21, he goes and digs another well and is driven from that well. Its name is Sitna. The name Sitna in the Hebrew language means strife. Literally, this man who was a liar about who his wife was in the eyes of his boys goes and builds the first well and lives there and is driven away from there. And he says, ah, nothing but contention. Can I tell you, dads, if you come home all the time complaining about what God is doing in your life, your kids will pick up on it. Ah, contention. Oh, contention and strife. Who's going to help me in this world? Oh, it's nothing but bad news everywhere I turn. That was Isaac at this point. Esau the hunter watched the weakness of his father and chose to further despise his family by marrying in chapter 26 two Hittite women. Esau's opinion was, well, if marrying one's bad, I might as well marry two of them. Can I tell you this? If Isaac had lived by this principle, if God is truly God, then he will take care of us. If he lived by that principle, it would have made all the difference in the lives of his boys. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that was not the life choices that Esau and Jacob observed in their dad. Now, God still blesses Isaac, as we read in the first verses of 26, but Isaac's life is but a blip in the patriarchal stories. Why? Because he's a weak follower of God. When we come to Genesis chapter 27, the deceitfulness is full-blown. Isaac calls, to es- uh, calls Esau to himself so that according to Rebekah's understanding of the situation, he might bless him before the Lord. In fact, if you read chapter 27's first few verses very carefully, he calls Esau before him, does Isaac, so that he might bless him with his soul or his essence and being. In other words, what is mine rightfully by airship, I'm giving to you. And it wasn't his to give. He's lying to his own son. Rebecca hears of this, and instead of allowing God to work, she intervenes with her own deceitfulness. May I say to you moms and wives here, just because your husband is not living for the Lord does not mean you become God. I told you, it was a buckle up time today. I didn't get one amen on that. Here's what I got from that. From the whole lot of you. Well, it's my job as his wife to correct him. No, it's not. Well, he was doing something wrong. I mean, God said that he was going to get the blessing. He was going to give the blessing to Esau. I had to step in. No, you don't. If you truly believe God is in control, let God control it. I think I have to sit down. You are sitting down. I'm not sure I can take this, Pastor. It gets better. Families that divide their love and then subsequently disobey God's word will find themselves deceiving first their own selves and then everyone they come in contact with perpetually. That's what we read in this family. It is chaos. This is what they did wrong. Unfortunately, their family looks a lot like Christian homes today. Division, disobedience, and deceitfulness. So what can we do that's right? Let her be. What should Isaac and Rebekah have done? 
Well, first in our outlines, they should have diligently led. Diligently lead your home. With care from this book, care from the promises of God. You say, well, how much of God's word did Isaac have? Well, he would have had all of the oral traditions that were handed down from the flood. He would have known all of the things that God had done for Abraham. He had sufficient supply to trust God's word, just like you and I do. In our walk with God, we can trust God. And when we trust God's word, we diligently lead our home. One of my favorite authors, John Rosemond, on parenting, he's written 16 books on parenting, and they're every one of them excellent. He says this, What's happening in America today is parents are emphasizing their relationship with their children instead of leading their children. He goes on to say, Anyone in leadership will tell you you cannot have a warm, fuzzy relationship with someone in your, that you are charged with leading. Pastor, you just don't understand modern leadership styles. The answer is, I have to make a decision, and every decision I make is not going to make every person of this church, every person even on our church staff, happy. Leadership means there are going to be seasons or reasons of life where it's not going to be like, we're just best friends. Everything we do is just wonderful together. It's not going to be that way. But I want them to love me. Then lead them. Here's what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. The first part and the last part of the verse, he says this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. He concludes by saying in the same verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you know what Joshua did not do? He did not walk around to his wife and to his children and take a poll. Hey, you guys feel like serving the Lord? I mean, here's what it's going to mean. But I mean, do you, do you really, if you don't, dad, I mean, you know, dad won't do it. That's not at all what Joshua said. Leadership is not about feeling warm and fuzzy and being their friend. Can I tell you, parents, you will never be your child's friend if you fail to diligently lead them. Too many parents today are focused on their kids liking them and fail to actually lead them into righteous choices. Can I tell you a secret as well, parents? You will never be cool to your kids. Now, some of you are wondering, did I say cruel? I didn't say cruel. I said cool. Here's how I can prove that. Parents in here with kids, were your parents cool to you? Eh. Were their parents cool to them? Mm. Here's the amazing thing in life. Grandparents are cool to their grandkids. I don't know how it happens. But parents are never cool to their kids. I don't know what it is. If you are chasing that elusive lie, stop. Instead, diligently lead them in paths of righteousness, in what is good, in what is right. You can be kind to them. Please understand what I'm saying this morning. Somebody, I'm sure, will take this off of YouTube, clip it, and say, He says, hate your kids. That's not what I'm saying. You can be kind to them, but set boundaries. Establish restrictions. Let them know what the punishment is and hold them to those biblical standards. Don't make them your opinions. Say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says, and we're going to do it. Well, that means I need to know that. Yeah, diligent leadership means you're in the Word of God diligently every day. 
The second thing that we can do that is right is delight in kindness. You know, one of the things that's remarkable about these stories, especially of Jacob and Esau, there is an absence of goodness, gentleness, and kindness. Disobedience towards God and the ensuing rivalry and jealousies will rob you of kindness, just as it robbed their home of kindness. I mean, I've seen some feuds in families, but I've never seen, at least not within our church family, and thank the Lord for that, where a child in the same home says, yeah, pastor, I really want to kill my brother. I mean, I've heard some people say, man, I'd like to kill him. But when I get down to it, they're like, well, no, I don't want him dead. Esau wanted him legitimately dead, like 100% dead. That's what he wanted. And you're thinking, how did they get to that point? And the answer is because there was no kindness fostered in that home. There was no goodness, gentleness, meekness, no humility in that home. The disobedience and the deceit was rife and it was rampant. It was everywhere in that home. God wants homes to be kind. The third thing you can do is discipline for integrity. My principal growing up, Gil Hansen, used to say, imposed discipline leads to self-discipline. And I can tell you, my friend, we lack self-discipline in our modern world. Why? Because we've taken away all the structures that impose discipline. Go, go down to a school, and the only discipline they will impose is that you can't preach this book there. But any other discipline? What are you talking about? We're even letting hardened criminals out because we don't want to impose that discipline anymore. Imposed discipline always leads to self-discipline. And in parents, in your home, I have to then ask the question, why aren't you imposing discipline? Well, I mean, yeah, that's usually what I get out of you. And you say, man, you sound harsh. I, I don't mean to sound harsh. I mean to sound truthful. The only hope for the dysfunction of our culture and our society is for Christian homes to actually do it right. And this home that we're studying today didn't do it right. There was chaos in the parental realm. Susanna Wesley raised 12 godly children. Two of them ended up being fantastic evangelists, wonderful preachers of the Word of God. She said this, The child that never learns to obey his parents in the home will not obey God or man out of the home. I mean, they just do what they're going to do, Pastor. Not if you're their parent, they don't. Now, so kids in here are like, man, I really don't like this guy today. I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to be your pastor. And I hope your parents will take hard, straight lines in teaching you what is truth. We find the chaos in what Isaac and Rebecca did wrong. We find the right way through the chaos by doing what is right. And there are a few things, let us see, that we must remember. First, we must remember the promises of God. This is what they had forgotten. This is where the chaos stemmed from. This is where it was flowing out of. They had forgotten the promises of God. Isaac forgot the word of God. God gives promises in his book. They are for us to have and to hold and to use. They are ours practically to use in our daily lives. Isaac knew God's prophecy about Jacob ruling over Esau, yet he chose to favor Esau. 
He should have loved both sons equally and dealt with them honestly from God's word, from God's promises. But he didn't. You and I can do the right thing by remembering the word and promises of God. Isaac should have never lied about Rebekah in the eyes or in front of his boys. He should have never committed a blessing to Esau in chapter 27 that he knew was not rightly his. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ, Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. Parents, if you are failing to teach your kids the promises of the word of God, then you are failing your kids. Well, I mean, they know how to turn a wrench. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. A, a, a teachable trait is a wonderful thing. But if you haven't taught them a lick about the word of God, you failed them. Isaac was a follower of God. You might claim to be a follower of God this morning. But if you want to make sure that your children walk with God and don't have to go through all that Jacob had to go through, then teach them the simple truths of the word of God. The promises of God. Give way to us remembering the proof that is generated, number two. What the root draws from produces the fruit. I want you to think this morning for just a moment. Evaluate your home this morning. In your home, don't assume what Kyle might think of your home. You do an evaluation of your home. Remember the deceitfulness of Isaac and Rebecca. Most people in the wider world probably would have thought, man, that is a great home. Man, that well digger, and that's what Isaac was. He was a well digger, chapter 26. Man, that well digger, he's got a wonderful wife. He's got two great young men as, as sons. They're going to do great things for God. Deceitfulness and lies. You might be able to lie to me. I want you to evaluate your home. I want you to pause and think as we're teaching through this point. I want you to stop and evaluate what is the proof that is being generated from my home. If I were Isaac and Rebecca's pastor, and I'm glad I wasn't, I would struggle to find godliness in their home. I would have to look at the fruit that was generated from their home and say, I don't, I don't know. If your home was exposed like their home is exposed for us in the Word of God, if we found out, if we discovered, if we had manifest to us the heart of disobedience and the hands of deceitfulness that they practiced in their home, what could be said if your home was exposed like that this morning? The proof is in the product of that godless state that the home was living in. So I ask, what is your home producing? A family that is holy and biblically healthy, or a home that is continually found in a compromised situation after compromised situation, making this statement, what are you going to do? That might be the most common statement as a pastor I hear from parents that find their young people in trouble. Our walk with God is always revealed, and Isaac's was. That's why I have not chosen to put him in this series. There is nothing remarkable that came from his life. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph that we'll read about in the book of Genesis, almost nothing is recorded of Isaac, other than in chapter 22 he's willing to be a, being a willing sacrifice, and in chapter 27 he's a good well digger. That's it. That's all we know about him. The messages in his, from his life usually flow from the product of his home, what came out of his home. 
The hatred of Jacob and Esau. Man, that is terrible proof. We are to remember the promises. We are to remember the proof. And finally, we also should be aware of the permanence of grief. Esau never truly forgives Jacob. In fact, it's all the way towards the end of the minor prophets that Edom is finally judged and wiped off the earth. And it is because they still cannot love the Israelites, the offspring of Jacob. His grief was great, but nothing could be done to assuage that grief. Pick up the reading with me in chapter 27, if you'll turn over there, and look in verse number 34. The Bible says, And when Esau heard the words of his father, now what has he heard? He's heard that Esau, his father, has promised Jacob this good thing, this blessing because of the birthright. He cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O father. And Isaac, he said, Thy brother came with subtlety. And it taken away thy blessing. And he said, that is, Esau said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? Dad, you got it right. That old deceiving supplanter, that old heel grabber, he's tripped me up. He's becoming a victim, by the way. That's what bitterness will do to you. For he hath supplanted me these two times, by the way. The deceitfulness of the home was rife here. Had... Had uh, Jacob truly deceived him the first time? No. He said, hey, sell me the birthright, I'll give you the porridge. He didn't deceive him, he knew full well what he was doing. It wasn't like Jacob had somehow tricked him. But what we find is the deceitfulness was full bore. He said, he's deceived me two times. He took away my birthright. He didn't take it away, he gave it away. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Now that part was true. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Go down to verse 41. The answer was no, but maybe. In verse 41, the Bible says this of Esau. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then, then will I slay my brother. I I can tell you, I've never seen that in any of our Christian homes. Thank goodness. But it may be. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself. Oh, good. He's encouraging himself. I'm glad about that. Purposing to kill thee. Oh, not so good. Now, obey my voice, arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother in Haran. Here's the point. Grief undealt with. Grief and difficulty from the chaos of life and growing up turn to bitterness in this man's life. And bitterness will destroy everything it touches. The home that is built upon failure and disappointment without properly reconciling these offenses will become a home of anger and bitterness. This is the parental chaos. Lest we leave you there in less than five minutes, I want to give you the second point, and that is his personal choices. You cannot claim victimhood. Did all of this happen to Jacob? Yes. Did all of these things happen to him? Most assuredly they did. Why can't he claim victimhood? Because God still holds you responsible for your choices. And we find that as the story continues to unfold, there's two things that we must understand. I want to at least note this. I told you to underline in chapter 25 and verse 27 the word plain. (laughs) Some of us might have read that and thought, man... Jacob must have been a really ugly kid. 
I mean, if I use that description, well, what are they like? Well, they're just kind of plain. <laughs> That's not what this word means at all. In fact, it's translated 13 times in the Old Testament. The other 12 times, nine times it is translated perfect. Two times it is translated undefiled. One time it is translated upright. This is the only time it's translated plain. And here's the point. In his life, in his walk with God, he himself, amidst all of the chaos, still, letter A, decided to embrace the divine. I don't care what home you're growing up in. I don't care what home you grew up in. I don't care who betrayed you. I don't care who did something to you. I don't care how someone hurt you. You too today can still choose to embrace the godly and divine things of this life. You can. Esau despised the birthright, we're told at the end of chapter 25. That phrase itself doesn't seem too outrageous, for today we find many sons and daughters who receive nothing in an inheritance from their parents. But in this case, the birthright meant the eternal blessing of God, the promise of the Messiah coming through them, the promise of the blessed seed, the promise of God being one with them. That's what Esau said no to, and that's what Jacob wanted. In his plainness, He simply sought in honesty, at least early on, the things that God had told him he would have. Jacob desired this even though by human right and order, the birthright, it wasn't his. God had told him it would be his and he declared it so decades before. Jacob is desirous of the eternal, while Esau lived only for the earthly. That's why when he said, the Bible says that he talks of the red pottage, it's important, those words. The word red means Adom, A-D-O-M. It has the idea or derivative of Adam, that which is earthly, Paul might say. Esau only pursued the earthly. He only cared about the temporal. But Jacob in his heart said, I want the eternal. That's what's important to me. I embrace who God is and what God can do through me. Well, we fast forward probably to the 130th years of Isaac. And he says, I'm old and I'm going to die. He lived another 50 years. <laughs> uh, sounds like some of us. I'm 46 and I tell my boys, I'm so old. That's exactly what Isaac was doing. Unfortunately, at this time, instead of the father taking the leadership role and stepping up and saying, hey, the birthright we know from God is supposed to be Jacob's. Let's just settle it here. He didn't do that. So instead of Jacob trusting God and holding to those things, he listened to his mother and we find letter B, he engaged in deceit. This is the lesson for us. This is the walk with God. This is why this message has to be preached so that we understand next week what his fight was all about. His fight was about not just the victimhood of his, or of his uh, childhood and what he grew up seeing and experiencing, but it's also based upon the choices that he made. He did want the eternal things, but sometimes Jacob wanted the eternal things his own way. And so he engaged in the deceitfulness of his own family. He fell back to what was natural. It's like Peter going back to fishing. Jacob chose in the chaos of the blessing from Isaac to engage in the family pattern of deceitfulness. He didn't have to, but he did. Sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. Jacob just needed to walk in and say, the birthright's mine. Esau sold it to me. God promised it to me. And you, dad, must give it to me. Well, that seems kind of brash. It was bold, but accurate. That's what he should have said. 
Instead of being bold and declaring truth, there were lies and equivocations. There was deceit. It sounds a lot like his father. Make no mistake, when you practice to deceive, it is your choice. When young people hide, when you young people, I should say, hide your text messages, your Instagram history, your browsing history on your phone or devices, it's your choice. It's not because, well, I just don't want my parents to know. Yeah, you're hiding it. You're lying. You might be a good kid, but division, disobedience will ultimately lead you to deceit. God can still use those who make mistakes. I'm living proof of that, and I'm glad for God's graciousness. But we must stop engaging in the deceit, disobedience, and division. Jacob meets God, and we're going to find out next week, God cripples him. Look, when you fight with God, you lose. I think it was Dr. Bob Sr. used to say, your arms are too short to box with God, and that's a good way to say it. He'll beat you up every time. He meets God and God cripples him. A necessary event, by the way, for any who would follow after God. It's why in the series we have Jacob leaning upon a staff in his picture. Twenty years later, Jacob would meet, or within, over the next 20 years, I should say, he deals with a man named Laban who is deceitful in every interaction with him. God always has a way of teaching us how not to live when we've made a mistake in that area. Some of you are smiling because you've known the same things. Be careful. What goes around by your hand will always come around through another's hand back into your life. Parents, in closing this morning, your actions affect your kids' walk with God. You must understand that. You might say this morning, but pastor, it all worked out okay for Jacob. Did it? He had to fight an intense fight that we'll study next week. After all, well, you might say, wasn't it God's plan for him? No, God's plan for them was to obey him and for him to give Jacob the blessing and to Esau to live within the fullness of that blessing, serving his younger brother. The answer is God will accomplish his will on earth, but we can help him. We can please him and enjoy it as we go along. So many Christians seemingly are living in their home lives like there are no consequences for division, disobedience, and deceitfulness. That's what I observe. God says that there is. The story that unfolds here from chapters 25 through 27 of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob tells that parental chaos leads to more difficult personal choices for those who truly want to walk with God. And I pray that all of our homes do. Father, help us, I pray, as we close.